0: and welcome to another uh, thrilling class in the bunker Uh, before we get started let let, let me just say real quickly a couple of things Uh, last time i asked if you would hit like and share and share you did oh my gosh we had like 22 shares, and because of that, we reached out to over 900 people. Uh, so thank you again for just kinda hitting like and share so that we get a chance to reach out. I started hearing from some people, probably on your Facebook pages, that are, had a chance to watch it because you were kind enough to share. So. Thanks so much in doing that. Um, And then also we are recording this on a uh, Mother's Day, so a shout out to all the wonderful women, married and unmarried, who in the process of their lives, nurture and love and care for uh, so many people in so many ways, regardless again of marital status. So thank you so much uh, for who you are. Okay, now as we get started today, be kind of a fun class, I think, because uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little something that I call p- uh, pre uh disorder, and you're going to go, "Really? What does what does that mean?" Well, here, here's how this works. I, I actually, it's something I actually stole from uh, uh, a, co- a uh, comic uh, writer by the name of Steve pa- Pastis, um, "Pearls Before Swine," and here's what he says. Dear life, every time I do something bad, I regret it afterwards, but it's too late then. So, please invent a type of regret I can feel beforehand. <laughs> he says, call it uh, pre gret Okay? And then he says, hopefully I get royalties. So, uh, I'm going to sh- give a shout out to to past us if there were royalties to be given, I would give you royalties, but we don't make anything out of this, so we're on our own. But we're going to talk about pregrets and really what that means in our spiritual life and ultimately what that meant for uh, Moses as well. The uh, best way to describe pregret is that, that regret that we have for the stupids that we might do and that we probably never do. But we can go ahead and start worrying about it and feeling regret even though we never did it uh, and it never comes to pass. So we're getting all of that feeling bad now for something that never happened. Uh, And something that I see quite a bit of people that are, when they are anticipating that something's gonna happen, they already go through their regretting process, uh, and then it never does happen at all, and it was just kind of a lot of waste of good regret on on some on a uh, false future, in a sense, okay? Uh, now, one of the reasons that we do this, and a lot of times I will tease people, Uh, that they have uh, what I call a really really developed awfulizer. What does that mean? Well, it just means that we can take something that's very small in the moment as as we're going to run it through our head and it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow until this little thing that was small suddenly has become much bigger. Uh, We're going to make mountains out of molehills we're uh we're going to make something that was pretty innocuous and then we're going to awfulize it and you would say well that primarily that's kind of dumb except for the fact of what it the effect that it has in our physical life and in our spiritual life uh, as we're going to talk about okay so uh, it's like this one anxiety girl able to jump to the worst conclusion in a single bound. And I'm pretty sure that none of you are guilty of that kind of uh, jumping to worst conclusion. You keep your pregrets under control. But but let's just pretend for a minute that uh, this might be something you can share with somebody else. Uh, in your in your sharing, somebody else on your page is going to go. Oh, okay, maybe I have pregret. Okay, so what's the problem with that? Uh, as, as silly as that might sound, because it has some, I think, fairly serious uh, ramifications. Here are some of the problems that go with pregrats. And I said, besides robbing you of your sleep and your peace, so pregrats, the worrying about things that. Uh, aren't going to occur but we're going to worry about them in the present does rob us of our peace and can rob you of your sleep Um, have you ever tried to kneel down and say your prayers at night and your brain just won't shut down it just keeps rolling Uh, or you climb into bed, you turn out the light and you lay there and that's about the time that your brain starts going on and on and on and some of it is, is regret about the past, but it's sure amazing at how much, as we get ready to go to sleep, it's pregret about that fearful future and what may occur. So, what are the real problems with overthinking and constantly pregretting? Well, to put some background behind that, that kind of problem, uh, here's what happens. Deep inside your brain, you have a, a little almond-shaped dude that we call the amygdala. And it's the job of the amygdala to be kind of the flight controller of fearful and traumatic events that might happen in your life and might be happening currently. So what the amygdala does is it watches for something and when it perceives threat coming in, its, in, in your body's direction, it immediately fires stress chemical, signals down to, the, down to the basal ganglia that's gonna send out stress chemicals to your body and now you get a good healthy dose of adrenaline and cortisol and your body can quickly go into fight or flight mode get, to get ready to fight or to run. Well, that's nice when it works if you're standing on the tracks and there's a train hurtling towards you. The problem comes though is that for the amygdala, what it's really going off is what your brain is picturing. That's, that's what it's responding to. It responds to what it is that it's seeing. And the amygdala doesn't know whether what it's responding to is really there what you've been seeing from your past, or what you're picturing in your fearful future. It doesn't know. In the same way that I might say to you, right now I don't want you to picture a green tiger with like red splotches on its ear. Don't even think about green tigers with red, well, you know what you just did, right? That is that for you to not picture a green tiger, your brain, first of all, has to picture a green tiger. In the same way that somebody's standing on a golf course and they see where they wanting to go there, there's a body of water in front of them, and they keep saying to themselves, don't hit the ball in the water. Don't hit the ball in the water. And what they're doing is picturing hitting the ball in the water. And then, surprise, surprise, the body follows through and they hit the ball in the water. Well, that's partly due to the fact that the amygdala can't tell the difference between what is really happening and what you're imagining is happening. So it just responds the same way with adrenaline and cortisol and other stress chemicals to prepare your body for this imaginary threat that ain't gonna happen anyway. But you're gonna go ahead and live it through it now, as if it were happening to you. But it ain't. So, problem with that? Well, problem number one. In the process of your life, your brain your brain is sending directions down to your heart, and your heart does this nice little Uh, sign rhythm, and it just is this nice, gentle, consistent beating of your heart. But if I had you hooked up to a uh, EKG machine, and let's say that you had a really angry, obnoxious neighbor that was just making your life miserable. Maybe they had a barky dog all night long, or they kept uh, throwing things on your lawn, enough that you were really frustrated and angry at your neighbor, okay? Well, if your heart is going along, and I had you hooked up to an EKG machine, and you were just sitting there enjoying it, and, by, and I were to say, oh, by the way, how's your neighbor? In that very second, the amygdala would perceive threat, it would seen, send information down to your limbic system, that would then fire off adrenaline and, and that would hit your bloodstream and it would do it almost instantaneously. So fast, so fast, that in the moment you went, oh, I'm just kind of enjoying here, my heart is going along here, how's your neighbor? Boop! It would happen right away. And in that moment, your heart and your bloodstream and your arteries got a shot of cortisol and adrenaline it didn't need. I was talking to uh, a few years ago a good friend of mine and he was, he was a, a, a brilliant psychologist. He was an avid runner. He was thin as a rail. He ate well. Uh, and So he was well exercised. Everything else was great and he required a triple bypass because even though physically he had taken care of himself, he worried so much about his clients and about his family. He was kind of a chronic worrier and every time he worried, it left a little bit of cortisol in his arteries enough that ultimately it clogged up the whole works and he had a heart attack. This great runner, great eater, well, uh, who was really, really in shape? But the thing that got him was, boop, his, boop, and I'm fine. But boop, how's your, how's your client? Boop, and, and it was that kind of not just stressing about what had happened. Man, I wish I hadn't said that. But it was also stressing like. Wow, what will they do? Will they make it? I'm worrying about where they are going. Will I say the right thing? By the way, does this sound familiar to anybody? Not that you may necessarily have clients, but this pre and what it does to your body when it's constantly worrying and stressing about false futures. So, that's problem number one, is that it will have uh, bad physical effects on your body, even if you've got everything else going, okay? Let alone those of you who may be like me, needing to lose a few pounds, needing to eat a little better, and not only that, you're pre and making your heart have to work twice as hard uh, just because you're worrying about the things in your life that won't happen. Now, so that's problem number one. It's our physical side. Problem number two, let's get a little closer uh, to the effect it has on us spiritually. Generally, on a, on a regular basis, what happens when we get light and knowledge, how do we learn new information, especially spiritual kinds of things? It actually happens a couple of ways. On one side, we receive a lot of great inspiration, and, and the Holy Ghost speaks uh, primarily to our heart. And so I will tell you in your heart. And you get that knowledge that flows in there. Um, and, and this knowledge comes, and then also I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. So at the same time, then you're also getting thoughts. You get pure thoughts flowing through. And some of us uh, are a little, little stronger. Our spiritual gift is more on the inspiration, gut level, gut reaction to things. And for some people it's more about receiving thoughts and, and answers of how to solve something. Uh, but that's why the, this gut level inspiration and thoughts, the analyzing part, kind of work back and forth as they process information and we get kind of a double witness, if you will, about what we're supposed to do in our life. As a result of what we think and as a result of what we've heard in our heart These will work together, and we get this emotional response to that. We may get this, we'll we'll get response, we know what we're supposed to do, and we feel peace. We might get this information, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have gotten an answer to prayer, my response isn't peace. It may be peace in the moment, like, yes, I got an answer. But it also might be like, peace, i like, oh shoot, I know what I have to do and, I, and now I'm going to get that boop because now I'm going to see the threads like, I don't want to have to go do this or that, but I know I'm supposed to. Boop, off we go. Right? Because then we can start pre about how bad we'll mess it up. But by and large, we get answers on an inspiration level, on a thoughts level. Uh, again, based on your spiritual strength, it might be a little more than the other and we get an emotional response. Now, that emotional response is a lot like the gauges on your car in that they're just—they just give an information about what needs to happen. This information comes; it registers as an emotion. Maybe, and that emotion, maybe it's anger, says, "Okay, wait a minute. I had some expectations that I that didn't know that I had. I'm, I'm angry now. I can do something about it." Uh, or I'm feeling peace and that tells me that I'm moving on the right track. We just get confirmation in our emotional set. That's why knowledge comes in all these areas. What happens when we are nastily awfulizing? When our brain wants to pre-grit a lot. Well, what happens is is it throws this system out out of work. and So what happens is, that thought, <coughs> the pre gretting of what may happen and what shouldn't happen and how badly I'll mess it up, starts to take over. Your brain is running overtime, uh, running all night long. You, you're not sleeping very well. And the more that those thoughts take over and they dominate and, obs- and uh, become an obsession for us, the more we're going to feel fear and worry, the the primary emotion is not, from this kind of overanalyzing, it is not going to be peace and calm and all is right with the world. It begins to dominate all of our fear and worry because... That adrenaline continues to be pumped into our body and we're just worrying and feeling sick to our stomach and we're getting headaches and maybe migraines and muscle aches and we're just not feeling good. And But look at what, what gets eclipsed in all of this. It's the inspiration. The more we, are, we dissolve into thoughts and pre gretting the more we, we worry and are filled and consumed with that, the less able we are to, to feel that gut reaction from the spirit. pre can have the effect of blocking the spirit and reducing the amount of inspiration that you can receive in your life because you have a head run amuck. That overthinking, overanalyzing, over worrying, pregretting, shaming your stuff for stuff years from now has a really deleterious effect in the fact that it wipes out your ability, oftentimes, to feel the spirit quite the way that you would like. Uh, so, in that sense, um, pregretting and overthinking acts almost as a spirit blocker. Right at the moment when you're needing answers the most, your brain is doing everything possible to make sure you don't get the answers that you're really needing. Really kind of a, quite a uh, paradox. You need, you can't hear it the most when you need it the most, because your head won't shut up. <laughs> it just keeps going and your heart keeps pounding uh, because it's being driven by the things that you're worrying and threat, okay? now let me stop for a second there are some of you listening to this right now that says oh my gosh now I need to, I've got something else I need to worry about in the future because I might be a chronic pre and because of that I'm not hearing the spirit and I'm not as worthy because I'm, I'm guilty of the sin of pre stop it <laughs> don't don't go there recognize that your head does that most of you overthinkers already know that you do and what we're trying to talk about today is how you begin to calm that process and the effect that it has and the first thing we're trying to do is just by recognizing it okay all right so bulletproof spirit blockers the things that we know for sure that can block the spirit is overthinking overanalyzing well the Lord said I was supposed to work it out in my mind uh, before making a decision and I've been working it over in my mind for six months nonstop. and gee I just can't seem to get an answer (laughs) gee I wonder why because your head won't stop and you're not listening to your heart (coughs) you're not listening to that gut reaction that could give you direction by the way, that direction may go counter to what you're thinking and expectations thought it was, part of what makes it hard, okay? Now, so overthinking, ruminating. This is where we get really good at pre gretting For instance, replay a painful conversation that you had yesterday or last week over and over and over, and then feel stupid every time you think about it. the great part about that one is that you can then shame yourself on each little faux pas as you put it into your video replay machine and it keeps playing it over and over and over and over and over, okay? Now think about when you start replaying conversations you haven't even had yet, you're worrying about a conversation you're going to have with a member of your family next week or a boss next week or you're going to finally walk over and talk to obnoxious neighbor and say your dog is barking at three o'clock in the morning is there something that we can do about that can we give him some doggy treats that'll make him go to sleep but you start replaying how you're going to mess it up and you haven't even done it yet but your brain while it's busy ruminating will will say As sometimes people will say to me, I'll I'll say you need to go talk to your spouse. And off they go. You know, spouse is driving you nuts. Yes, you need to talk to them. Okay, I'm going to say this, and then he will say this, then I'll say this, then he will say this, and he will probably do this. And I certainly get that oftentimes some of our ruminating is about knowing people well enough to know how they're going to respond to things but we start off with the idea that if I have this conversation it's going to go really really bad and not only am I going to feel bad in the future we are pre in the moment we're already feeling horrible about what we're going to say and it, and what's going to happen over and over and over Okay. so on top of that then is when we then start second guessing both in the past man I wish I'd have done this differently and uh, I don't think there's any of us that would look at our life and say yeah I shouldn't have done that one yeah that was that was a stupid I wish I had that one back I can think of a of an infamous family gathering a family vacation that we had where we made it all the way to the Texas coast uh, to, to camp on the shore and realizing that we had driven for five hours and I had left behind our tent poles. So we had a wonderful tent and no tent poles. That's one of those, uh, I wish I could have that stupid back. Uh, that changed the tenor of how we slept that night and in what way that we did that. Okay, So it's in the second-guessing. We look backwards. But brothers and sisters, we're talking about pre into the future and, and second-guessing the thing that will probably mess it up. And in the process, we're not even hearing the spirit to guide and direct us on the things that we're really needing uh, the most. Okay? So that's when we start shaming and blaming and guilting uh, and we get into that. Now, let let me tell you another problem that I think happens with uh, pregretting, and I'm just going to call it OCD obedience. and and we're going to get it out of section 82, uh, and hopefully, you know, when you get to this and your Come Follow Me progression, um, what you're going to what you're going to read is a scripture that you know. And again, I say unto you, I give unto you a new commandment that you may understand my will concerning you. Or in other words, I give unto you directions about how you may act before me that it may turn to your salvation. And then we say, and this is the one that gets us, and the one that I think gets constantly misinterpreted. For I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say. But when you do not what I say, you have no promise. Now, at some level we understand, I think, sort of what that means. But let me tell you how that plays out some often, I think, in practicality and in reality. It sounds something like this. And you're going to say, I would never think that. And then it turns out that you will act that way, and you're going to say, "I guess I did act. Th- I guess I did believe that." This gets interpreted. I, the Lord, am bound. This gets interpreted to, "I can control my future, and my anxiety, if the Lord would just do what I want or what I need." I can control my anxiety. I just need to get the Lord to do His part, because He knows me and He knows everything. Uh, and so we say, well, I can control the Lord by becoming super obedient. So what we do sometimes is we ramp up our what's sometimes called religious scrupulosity. That is, I'm going to train. I was going to the temple a little. I'll, now I'll go to the temple a lot. I was reading a little bit of scriptures. I'll read a lot. I'm in training. I I sometimes listen to uh, Tabernacle Choir. Now I'll listen to nothing but Tabernacle Choir. Why? Because I can control the Lord by becoming super obedient. If I could double up on the sacrament, or pay twenty percent tithing, maybe that would do it. Why? Because if I do that, then when I'm super obedient. I have bound the Lord and he has no choice he has to do it he says uh, because if I'm he's going to say that we're going to bind him now think about go, go back for this for a second if you take a look at this he's, that's not what he's saying he's saying I will give unto you directions about how you may act I'll give you a commandment that it may turn to you for your salvation. He's not saying to you, it will be given into your mind and heart to what to talk to your neighbor about, the barky dog, but he will soften your neighbor's heart if you go super obedient before you actually talk to him. It's not what he's saying. <laughs> he's saying, I will turn your life and your actions to your salvation. Why? Because what's being bound is not the Lord's actions. What's being bound is our heart to His. We are being knit together. As you keep my commandments, you will understand me better. As you do what I have asked you to do, we will be bound eternally to one another. I'm already bound to you. You're my work and my glory. But, as you learn love and you learn to love, you'll learn to be more bound to me, and the commandments will be easy, but what he's really asking us to do is love him and love one another that's that's what will bind our heart to his it has nothing to do with solving the things that we want, no matter how well intentioned it might be uh, for uh somebody who's on death's door in our family or needing a job or a wayward child or something like that that's not what it is that he's saying <clears throat> okay so let's take an let's take another case where i think part of what drives sometimes our pre gretting and that's what i That's what can be an anger problem. And that's part of our understanding and knowledge of God himself and our heavenly parents. They get to a moment when they're standing in front of Sinai and the mountain... When God shows up, there's fireworks. There's some pyrotechnics going on. There's a cloud. There's lightnings. It's it's a pretty impressive show of power that these people needed after being in Egypt and seeing the wonders of Egypt, but pretty silent gods. Um, they needed uh, something extra and special effects sometimes do a good job of reminding you of something here but here's how they took this the Lord said to Moses look I'm about to come to you in the utmost cloud so that the people may hear as I speak to you I want them to hear me speaking to you the gods of Egypt never did that and as, you, and as you will, they will trust for all time. So if they can hear me and hear the, the things that I'm saying to you about you, about them, they will, they will come to trust me. How did, how did the children of Israel respond to that? Well, not well. And all the people were seeing the thunder and the flashes and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain in smoke, all the special effects. And the people saw and they drew back and stood at a distance. Why? They said to Moses, Speak you with us that we may hear and let not speak with God with us lest we die. If we hear God's voice, we will die. So, you sp- let him speak to you, you speak to us. Somehow you can do it without dying, but if we listen to him, we will die. And part of the, what comes out of this, and, we, and again, since so much of the Old Testament was written in Babylon Uh, during Lehi's time we really don't know um, everything uh, the exact nature of this conversation but what we do know is that for those poor Jews sitting in Babylon as the Old Testament and the Torah is being compiled they certainly have a belief and it's reflected here that if we talk directly with God we will die. In other words, our view of Jehovah is one of fear. We fear him. And part of our pregret is worrying that we're going to do things in the future that will make God not displeased, we will make God angry because we view our heavenly parents as people that would be quick to anger partly because we're going to read the Old Testament, and I'll show you in a second, and when we read the Book of Mormon, those pre-Third uh, Nephi Nephites had the same view of an of a angry, wrathful God that might kill them for the least um, minor infraction. Okay? Moses said to the people do not fear for in order to test you God has come and in order that his fear may be upon you so that you do not offend and in other words he's doing this so that you have a healthy awe of him but he didn't bring you into the wilderness here to want you to die (laughs) if you're going to be his chosen people meaning you have some responsibilities to take to the rest of the world He's not anxious to kill you. But they had that sense because they had watched this God that could part the Red Sea and and uh, they had watched, we think, the firstborns of Egypt that actually did die. Okay, so they interpreted that as anger and wrath and fear. Now, where do we get it also even in the Book of Mormon? Listen closely. Switch over to even Nephi. In, in 3rd Nephi he's going to he's going to say that he's going to ask God after he was given the sealing power you remember he's going to say they're not obeying can we bring a drought and actually the drought that comes has an effect of humbling them and, and helping them to trust the Lord more but listen to Nephi's language and I think it deeply reflects what the Nephites thought then. I think they would see it different after they met Jesus in the flesh. But, but pre-coming of Jesus, look at this way of looking at God. Look at how Nephi approaches him. Now, O Lord, because of this, their humility, wilt thou turn away thine anger and let thine anger be appeased in the destruction of those wicked men whom thou hast already destroyed they didn't make it they refused to repent O Lord wilt thou turn away thine anger yea thy fierce anger this is almost written in poetic form because you get this repeating process this is kind of a, a, a psalm of sorts but it's still based on a basic idea of God's anger Wilt thou turn away thine anger, thy fierce anger, and cause this famine may cease in the land? You sent a drought because of anger. Verse 16. And now, O Lord, wilt thou turn away thine anger? He repeats it three times. "And And try again with them if they will serve thee. And if so, O Lord, thou canst bless them according to thy words as thou hast said. He was so worried about God's anger that it wouldn't let up. Well, that was also, to be honest with you brothers and sisters, that was also very much written, I believe, to the first generation of the church with Joseph Smith because in their own church understanding and background coming from the Christian creeds at the time, they very much believed and understood a harsh God quick to anger and quick to hurt them. Now, in closing, part of our spiritual pregretting and spiritual overthinking and spiritual worrying may be because of our own experience that we have a tendency to believe in an angry God. And we worry in our spiritual ruminating that he is looking for opportunities to punish us. Let me ask again. Anybody want to pray for patience? Oh no, he'll send us trial. He does that. And he does that because I've already done stuff to make him mad. The idea that, the Lord, that, that Jesus of Nazareth in the Galilee and Jerusalem and Jesus of Nazareth at Bountiful at the temple the the loving God that they interacted with was the same God of the Old Testament and the Old Testament part of of the Book of Mormon they're the same person and it was never about anger it was always about love as Jesus of Nazareth demonstrated over and over and over. Now, I can't necessarily take care individually of your anxiety, pregretting, worry. If 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 you need to get some help for that, do it. Just recognize what what effect it has on you. But your spiritual pregretting can I plead with you just a little bit that when you're wondering about the Old Testament or the God of the first two thirds of the Book of Mormon, take a look at the God of 3 Nephi 11 and, the, and Jesus of the Gospels and allow your spiritual pregretting to begin to dissolve in His love as He shows you what He really intends not what your head worries he might be thinking. The Lord intends you to feel, have hearts full of peace, not terror. If we understand who he is and understand him better, I think we allow that peace to enter our hearts and I think our spiritual pre begins to dissolve. I bear you my testimony that he loves us more than we know. And is anxious to be part of our lives. And he's anxious for us not to fear him. But to allow him to love us. And I leave that with you in Jesus name. Amen.